Hello, everyone. Welcome to How to Read Chinese Poetry podcast. I'm Zhong Qicai, the program host. In this podcast program, my colleagues and I aim to introduce cutting-edge scholarship on Chinese poetry to a broad general audience. We will present 52 episodes covering the major poetic genres developed over China's long history. Each episode features close reading of one or more of the best-known Chinese poems, with an aim to illuminate their literary greatness and cultural significance. For all the discussed poems, Chinese texts, English translation, romanization, and brief notes are provided at our website, howtoreadchinesepoetry.com. By following the 52 episodes, listener will gain a bird's eye view of the thematic, formal, and generic evolution of Chinese poetry from antiquity to the modern era. Instruct and delight is what we wish to accomplish in each talk. Without further ado, let's begin. Everyone, today our guest host, Dr. Samay, will present her third and the last episode on short song lyrics, entitled "I Ask You How Much Sorrow Can There Be." Later, literary song lyrics. Let us welcome Dr. Samay. Welcome to the last of our three episodes on the short song lyric or xiaolingzi. Last time, I used two early literati poems to show how the feminine themes of the genre could be adapted by literati poets, and how imagery and poetic craft could begin to replace inner speech and colloquial elements in some literati song lyrics. Today, I want to talk about two slightly later literati poets. The first is a poet whose work remains closely tied to the delicacy of these feminine themes. The well-loved poet Li Yu, also known as the Last Emperor of the Southern Tang, or Li Houzhu. Li Yu was taken prisoner by the newly founded Song Dynasty and later died in captivity. His best-loved and most famous Su poems date from the period of his imprisonment, but all of his poems tend to be read through an autobiographical lens. His reputation combines a negative view of the libertine excess that characterized his life previous to his captivity, with a deep love for the nostalgic lyrics that arose from his tragic losses of kingdom and homeland. Let's dive right in with one of Li Yu's most famous lyrics, a Tzu poem to the tune "Beautiful Lady Yu." To the tune, beautiful lady, you. Spring flowers, autumn moon. When will they end? Past affairs, who knows how many. Last night in the small pavilion, the east wind came again. I can't bear to turn my head toward my homeland in the moonlight. 
The inlaid balustrade and jade stairs must still be there. It's only the youthful faces that have changed. I ask you, how much sorrow can there be? Just as much as a river full of spring waters flowing east. Like the anonymous poems we read in the first episode, and like Wei Zhuang's poem last time, Li Yu's poem incorporates colloquial elements and interrogatives. When will they end? Who knows how many? In the second to last line, I ask you how much sorrow can there be? The second person pronoun, Jun, recalls female voiced abandonment complaints. But here, these familiar elements seem to be brought into a more universal and philosophical context. The subject is less a particular gendered relationship and more the whole of time and nostalgia for the past. Let's look at the first stanza more closely. Spring flowers, autumn moon, when will they end? Past affairs, who knows how many? Last night in the small pavilion, the east wind came again. I can't bear to turn my head toward my homeland in the moonlight. The opening parallelism, spring flowers, autumn moon, by evoking two opposing seasons, spring and fall, and the opposing realms of heaven and earth in moon and flowers, seems to encompass all of time and space with a question that ends the line, when will they end, suggesting the unending cycle of time and season. To those who know the poet's story, the innumerable past affairs in line two suggest affairs of state and not those of his personal life. The third line's reference to the east wind coming again echoes the cycle of time and the seasons in line one. And in the fourth line, the moon appears again. I can't bear to turn my head toward my homeland in the moonlight. As is often the case in Chinese poetry, the moon unites two parties who are separated since the same moon shines on both of them. Here, it is not two lovers who are separated, but a ruler feeling deeply the separation from his homeland. The first stanza seems to contrast constancy and change, the perpetual cycle of the seasons, and the speaker's separation from his kingdom. In the first two lines of the second stanza, that contrast is continued. The inlaid balustrade and jade stairs must still be there. It's only the youthful faces that have changed. Imagining the physical features of the palace of his former kingdom, Li Yu contrasts their persistence with the changes to human faces whether those of his palace entertainers or his own face, uh, scholars are not sure. But what's clear is that the humanity is subject to age and chance while time and the seasons continue to cycle on. Let's look more closely at the last two very well-known lines. I ask you, how much sorrow can there be? just as much as a river full of spring waters flowing east. These lines can serve to illustrate one key way the song lyric differs from the line of the lyric poem or shi. 
The second to last line, I ask you, how much sorrow can there be, has seven characters. The first two characters, Wen Jun, I ask you, are what we call line leading words, Lin Zi in Chinese. They don't add to the substantive objective content of the line, but rather place it squarely within a subjective consciousness. The poet doesn't simply say, how much sorrow can there be, but makes his speaker ask the question of the reader or listener. I ask you, how much sorrow can there be? Emphasizing his longing for an answer. Similarly, when the last line, which is a whopping nine characters long, responds with just as much as a river of spring waters flowing east. This is introduced by the line leading words cha si, just as much as, or just like, which explicitly link the image to the consciousness of the speaker who's grasping for something to embody his almost overwhelming flood of emotion. Finally, finding the spring floodwaters, an apt metaphor for their fullness and power. But apart from the reference to turning his head toward his homeland, which situates the male speaker away from home, is this poem that different from female-voiced abandonment complaints or the kind of emotion we saw in Wei Zhuang and Wen Tingyun the last time? We find here the same indifference of nature in the east wind that came again last night, implying a repeated cruel battering wind. We see the same inexorable passage of time, seasonal change and change ascribed to human elements. In the line, it is only the youthful faces that have changed. We can easily imagine this in the voice of a female speaker. Li Yu's poem bears many of the hallmarks of the early song lyrics feminine themes, and the nexus of emotions surrounding female abandonment, loss, grief, and longing makes a fitting appearance here in the former ruler's nostalgic meditation on what he has lost. In his early poems, Li Yu was still writing poems for performance by female performers, but in his later tzu, he takes the genre beyond its former boundaries. As the late Qing literary critic Wang Guowei comments, when the Tzu reached Li Yu, its range of vision began to widen. As the emotions expressed gradually tended toward the more profound, so Tzu moved out of the world of singers and musicians into that of scholars and officials. Those officials began to write Tzu as poems, not as songs to be sung. Ye Jiaying describes this transition as moving from Tzu as true song lyrics, that is the lyrics to songs, to what she calls Shi-like Tzu, that is Tzu that express the emotion or the intent of the poet, as in the Shi or lyric poem. This transition happens in Li Yu's poetry when he loses his kingdom. The second poem I want to discuss in this episode is a later literati tzu poem by Yan Shu, a northern Song statesman who is considered a master of the short Xiaoling form of the song lyric. Yan Shu's poem to the tune Sand in Silk Washing Stream does not have clear gender markings, nor does it bear clear marks of being an abandoned woman's complaint. But listen for echoes of that convention that show up here as well. 
Listen now to the poem. Break here for the reading of Yen Shu's Sand in Silk Washing Stream. To the tune, Sand in Silk Washing Stream. A new song, a cup of wine, last year's weather at the old pond terrace. The setting sun sinks in the west, when to return. Do what one may, blossoms will fall. As if we knew each other, the swallows come back. In the little garden, I pace a fragrant path alone. The poem opens with a reference to making poetry. A new song, a cup of wine. And incidentally, the song here is a song lyric. It's a tzu poem. The practice of sharing poetry and wine in a social setting is ubiquitous in Chinese poetry. And as we've mentioned, the tzu in particular had the history of being composed and passed around for singing at parties. Here, the association of poetry and wine appears not in a celebratory mood, though, but to negative effect, to show up loss and absence, and to set up a nostalgic reflection. The first stanza of the poem presents us with three discontinuous lines that are not easy to relate to each other. First, we have the reference to a new song, a cup of wine, in line one. This may be a memory of a send-off gathering where songs were shared over wine, or it may be something the speaker is enjoying in the present. Could the new song even be the present one we are reading? Is the speaker drinking a cup of wine alone or remembering enjoying it in a happy gathering that is past? Similar questions can be asked about line two, last year's weather at the old pond terrace. Is the speaker remembering a gathering from last year when the weather was just like this? Was the gathering at the old pond terrace then? Or is that where the speaker is now or both? The line simply juxtaposes last year's weather and the old pond terrace and leaves it to the reader to construct the connections. Again, in the final line of stanza one, the setting sun sinks in the west, when to return. Is the sunset part of a remembered scene from last year or is it in the speaker's present? Regardless of its timestamp, the sunset becomes a philosophical emblem of the past and of loss. As in the line, heartbreaking the fragrant grasses green from the previous episode, where heartbreak was juxtaposed with a natural image, the poet here places the setting sun alongside the question, when to return, asking, is the return he waits for as sure as that of the sun the next day? As opposed to the utter discontinuity of the three lines of the first stanza, the first two lines of the second stanza actually form a loosely parallel couplet. Do what one may, blossoms may fall. As if we knew each other, the swallows come back. 
Blossoms and swallows are said in parallel with each other, as are the verbs fall and come back. Blossoms fall, swallows return. What is interesting is how these parallel images are framed by the subjective force of do what one may and as if we knew each other. Do what one may, blossoms may fall. As if we knew each other, the swallows came, come back. Again, these phrases clearly place the parallel images within the consciousness of the speaker. Both blossoms and swallows suggest seasonal change. Because we know the speaker is pacing on a fragrant path in the last line, we infer that at least some of the blossoms have already fallen, that spring once more is passing. And in the reference to the swallows coming back, we understand a seasonal return of birds from the south with the onset of warmer weather. In the subjective presentation of these images of time's passage, loss, and separation, there is emotion, perhaps we would call it nostalgia, but the re emotion remains at arm's length. It is vague and non-particular. In place of Li Yu's river full of flooding sorrow, or the reference to separation throes or heartbreak in the poems of the last episode, here we have just a vague sense of recognition of the sparrows and the suggested restlessness of the figure pacing in the garden alone among fallen blossoms. Each line of this stanza addresses the speaker's emotion from a different direction, as if the speaker is becoming aware first of the blossoms, then of the sparrows, and finally of his own pacing feet. But at its center, the complaint, again about separation, remains unspoken. This indirect presentation of emotion is both a hallmark of literati poetry and one of its most prized achievements. There is a phrase, meaning not a single word speaks the complaint. This phrase encapsulates a poet's ability to implicitly express his speaker's feeling. And this poem by Yan Shu has been praised for having exactly this quality. The poem seems to create an environment or a context for the emotion while it refrains from stating anything outright. The fact that critics have recognized this poem as a complaint suggests a question. Could the speaker of this poem be a woman? Well, it could. We know that women wrote new songs in gatherings with others. We don't tend to read it as female voiced because of the lack of any specifically gendered markers like pronouns. And there are no references to items of dress or hair or makeup, no suggesting of the absent party being a lover. As soon as we posit a male speaker though, we read the poem as remembering a gathering of male literati. Let's try listening to the poem again, imagining a female speaker. A new song, a cup of wine, last year's weather at the old pond terrace, the setting sun sinks in the west, when to return. Do what one may, blossoms may fall, as if we knew each other, the swallows come back. In the little garden, I pace a fragrant path alone. What do you think? 
I think we can imagine a woman pacing alone in the garden as well as we can a man. The fact that this is possible is due both to the indeterminate quality of Chinese poetic language and to the degree to which the feminine themes associated with the origins of the song lyric had become enmeshed in its matter of speaking, its means of expression, its usual idiom, so to speak. But tradition gives us no reason to posit a female speaker here, perhaps because it seems the genre has outgrown the need for one. To sum up then, from the song lyrics beginnings in the entertainment quarters, the literati had been involved in exchanging poetry with courtesan entertainers. Eventually, they began circulating their own efforts, which were sometimes collected and published, and the genre began to be taken more seriously as a legitimate avenue of poetic expression. As it developed, it broadened to include a wider variety of subjects, themes, and voices, including statesmen like Li Yu mourning his lost kingdom, and Yen Shu here apparently reflecting on separation from one or more literary drinking buddies. By the Song Dynasty, when Yen Shu was writing, the literati were creating so many song lyrics that today in China, the best of traditional poetry is often referred to as Tang Shi Song Ci, Tang lyric poems and Song song lyrics. So the genre arises in the Tang and the period of division that followed it, but then it goes on to flourish and inspire a lot of compositions from major literati poets and statesmen in the Song Dynasty. As time goes on, it will depart even more from the feminine and delicate themes of the early poems, in some cases leaving these completely behind. We saw in these episodes how the song lyrics varied line lengths and generally more fluid, less tight structure enable it to incorporate multiple shifts between imagistic presentation and quotation of speech or direct expression of emotion. Where the classical lyric poem or shi tended to encapsulate universality moving from temporal to universal and back again, the song lyric moves freely between past, present, and imagined time and depicts more complex emotional states and processes tending toward particularity with its line leading words that place the poetic line squarely in the consciousness of a specific speaker. These characteristics will develop more fully in the longer form of the song lyric that develops in the Song Dynasty, the Mansu. But that is a topic for another episode. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining me as we took a small excursion together into the world of the short song lyric in Chinese poetry. I hope you've enjoyed it. Let us thank Dr. Samay for such a stimulating talk. This talk concludes her topic on short song lyrics. To learn more about the topic from Dr. Samay, you may read her chapter on short song lyrics in How to Read Chinese Poetry, a guided anthology. Next week, we'll get started on topic 15, long song lyrics, man si of the Song Dynasty. And Professor Xin Da Lian of Denison University will be our guest host. I hope you enjoyed the talk. Let's relax and listen to a reading of the poems in Mandarin. Yu Mei Ren, 
。春花秋月何时了？往事知多少。小楼昨夜又东风，故国不堪回首月明中。雕栏玉砌应犹在，只是朱颜改。问君能有几多愁？恰似一江春水向东流，浣溪沙。一曲新词酒一杯，去年天际旧池台。夕阳西下几时回？无可奈何花落去，似曾相识燕归来。小园香径，独徘徊。